Thank you, Pastor John and Chris and the team for leading us in worship, and so good to uh, worship together with you all here, and um, hopefully you are all doing well and uh, was blessed by the worship. You know, um, I don't know what, if you've ever received an extravagant gift, I was thinking about this as uh, this passage talks about someone giving so extravagantly towards Christ. Maybe it's a car you received when you were younger. Maybe uh, the engagement ring you're wearing. What I don't know what it is that you might have gotten that was so extravagant. Right? Um, there's a story about a uh, lady. This happened back in 1980s uh, at uh, Sal's Pizzeria in uh, New York. And the waitress there, Phyllis Penzo, was uh, working there as usual. And they had one of the regulars was a police officer, very friendly with them. And uh, one day, uh, the police officer said to this waitress, says, hey, instead of a tip, because I bought a lotto ticket today. And I said, if we win, how about we split it half and half? And she said, yeah, yeah, sure. You know, let's do that. And then, you know what, they, they won the lottery. So her share was $3 million, right? And so they made a movie about it, and it was this uh, story, $3 million tip, right? So this is not an endorsement for you to go play lottery after church, right? Uh, but just a story in this way. And I don't know what it is you received, but here's a story about uh, Mary giving something so extravagant to Christ that people are shocked by it. It's recorded in the Bible. So people in the church would talk about it for uh, centuries to come and decades to come. And this is something that she had given. It was a bottle of oil like perfume. Nard is what they called it. It's from the plant. And it was so expensive. It was worth a day's wages. And she poured it on his feet and she wipes the grime and the dirt from her feet using her own hair. Now, this is a story that we know, um, but yet, at the same time, we often forget that she gives so much, but ultimately it was Christ who would give her the better gift, the more extravagant gift in him. Um, and so we see here, and today we want to look at, there's four people are mentioned in this story. Lazarus, Martha, Mary, and Judas. And four people are mentioned Two reactions, the correct response and the wrong response. And we want to look at that at the end. But for now, just to go through some of the background, right? By chapter 12, chapter 12 to the end of John is literally one week now. It's what happened the last week of Jesus' life. And so, so much is packed in there. The priestly prayer, um, the, the teaching that he gives the disciples, and then the whole ordeal he goes through as we approach Easter as well. But this, and uh, what happens here is, um, it tells us exactly, look at verse 1, and if we could shoot that up, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So it tells us when. Six days before. Passover. The Passover is mentioned only three times. This is the third time in the Gospel of John. So it's three years. Three Passovers have gone. Three years of Jesus' public ministry. And the Passover for uh, us that we know is what happened, the miracle that happened when they painted the doorpost with the blood of the Lamb and the angel of death passed over and they had salvation. They were free. But this isn't just a mere coincidence. Uh, this is a fulfillment this was something that was now to be fulfilled. What happened in Exodus was now a sign of what was to come. So this is the fulfillment. So this is really neat to see in our hindsight. 
And John makes sure we understand six days before. The next chapter 12 and on is the six days of it. So Jesus' death and resurrection. He is the Passover lamb. And it happens to be at Bethany where Lazarus was. Remember last week's message about Lazarus being raised from the dead. Jesus performs his last sign before the final sign of him dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. This is the seventh sign. Not only that, he says the famous I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life. And something beautiful happens in chapter 11. And now we get to chapter 12. And Lazarus is there. And verse 2 tells us they threw a dinner for him. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served. And Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. It's a dinner. It's a celebration. The other Gospels tell the same story. It tells us who threw the dinner. It was a guy named Simon, known as Simon the leper. So it's interesting, right? Simon the leper, the one who had leprosy. We could probably better title him Simon the ex-leper. But Simon was such a common name. They, oh, he's the leper. And I wonder if he was healed by Christ. And so when he heard about the story of Lazarus, he said, I want to celebrate. I want to throw the dinner. So here is a dinner party. Simon, the ex-leper, the one kid, remembering the miracle of life, celebrating now the one who was dead and has come back to life. And they threw a dinner. They threw a party. None of us have probably ever been to a party like this, right? But really, in a way, that's what the church is. That's what we're doing here. Now you think about this. We are people who are ex-spiritual lepers, unable to help ourselves. We are people who were now spiritually dead and has found eternal life. And we come together to talk about Christ. We come together to celebrate him. And so what is happening there is kind of what we are doing here. And this is the gathering. And it tells us now comes the story of Mary, the famous story. She, verse 3, Mary, Mary therefore took a, ba- a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. She does something so extraordinary. She takes a pound of it. The ESV tries to translate it for us, a pound of it. 11 ounces, some people say. Of this expensive ointment made from pure nard. Nard oil was from the root of the particular plant that was found in India, the scholars say, the commentators talk about. And so it was very precious. It was something from a foreign land. And you would imagine, especially in those days, to get something from a distant country, not even the city over, but another country, was not easy. But she had this. And it tells us here, it's interesting as well, that it was pure. It wasn't blended, it wasn't mixed, it was pure. And not only that, it was now brought over from this land and they brought this here. So women would carry this. Sometimes they would wear around their neck a small vial of it. And it was like the perfume of our day. And they would wear it because uh, to, to cover their smell. They would do it to anoint people that would come into their homes. Because they would come into a house and they would smell. They didn't take showers regularly. So they would cover it up using this perfume. But also this was used to uh, kind of when there's a funeral and a dead body. To cover up the stench of the 
body that was there, and they would now cover the body with this. Now, the funeral was last week, right? It was yesterday for her. It just, just happened, Lazarus. I would imagine this is an heirloom that was passed down generations and maybe she was saving this. And when her brother Lazarus is dead, they're ready to go and cover that body with this very special perfume. But before she gets to now anoint the dead body, he comes back to life and she has us here. What is she going to do? She goes to Christ and she, quote unquote, wastes it all on him. You know, it tells us it's pure. And I love how John just puts these little details. And all through the story, we'll, we'll look at some other, but it's pure. It's not cheap. It's not mixed. It's not blended. You know, I was talking to a pastor recently from Kona, Hawaii. And I asked him a question. He's a big coffee guy, right? And, you know, I, sometimes you make the mistake of asking someone who's an expert and passionate about something. You have to be ready what, for the long answer. I wasn't ready for the long answer. He gave me the long answer. So I said, hey, I said, why do you guys from Kona always rip us off, man? Five, six dollars for a glass of Kona coffee. What's so special? And his eyes lit up, and I had regret. Uh-oh, you know, we're in this conversation. And he's like, mountain range, the height, the humidity, the rain, the temperature. And it's at a certain point, and it's only at that point that it is the perfect soil and this and the temperature for the coffee beans to grow. And by this time, you know, he had me bought. I was like, let's go get some coffee, right? And uh, he was saying, yeah, and you have to be careful. You don't want to buy the blends. You don't want to buy the fake stuff. You got to buy the 100% Kona coffee. And, you know, I went to go and buy it. And I saw all these cheaper ones. And I looked carefully. It was 10% Kona. I don't want 10% Kona. And I can't bring this back, right? If you've ever gotten a gift from uh, someone that went to Kona and they brought you 10% Kona, you know how much they value now your friendship, right? But if they come and bring you back 100% Kona coffee, you now know you have a real friend, right? It costs that much more. As John is explaining this, it's not just uh, any type of perfume that people would make. This was pure. This was the good stuff. This was the thing that you keep for a special occasion. And she now offers this. Not only that, she and she wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. And for in our culture today, we say, but this is weird. Why would she do that? It's impractical. Why would she do that? The hair for the woman represented so much, as it is today in our day and age. Hair is very important for women. It represented their beauty and who they were but also women in those days would not let their hair down in public it was a sign it was a, a bad look it made you look like you had loose morals and so you don't let your hair down it was intimate you kept it hidden you kept it tied up and so for her to put her hair down at the least it was embarrassing the worst it was a um, case for divorce for certain people but she let her hair down. And this is the crown of who she is. This represented her beauty. She would take care of her hair. And for her to go to the feet of Jesus to wipe the dirt, it was worth it. And she does this. So this is shocking. And it is at this point, it's Judas Iscariot, verse 4. And I love how John here keeps explaining to us. In case we read this for the very first time. And you have no idea. We all know who Judas is. 
But in case for the person who's never read it, for the first-time reader, he explains this. And so the Gospel of John is a great place to start. Uh, if you're not a Christian or a new believer, it's, he explains things. Verse 4, but Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, parentheses, he was... He who was about to betray him said, and these are the first words recorded of Ju- from Judas' mouth, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It's interesting. And as he's writing these words, he's remembering now, and he knows why someone said certain things. He understood why he said these things, why he was so calculating, why he knew how much it was worth just by looking at it. He was eyeballing it from the beginning. He wanted to go and get that. He wanted to have that. And he says this, why was the ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? It sounded like a kind gesture. But John wanted to make sure we as the reader understood, it's not that Jesus didn't care for the poor. This discussion isn't about the poor and how to help the poor people. This discussion is really about now what is happening in the heart of Judas. And verse 6 John explains to us, and he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. He used to help himself. And Jesus tells her in verse 7. It's interesting, the other Gospels tell us it was all the disciples uh, were against this. But John clarifies, it wasn't all of us. It was We're all just kind of neutral. It was Judas who spoke out and we all got kind of and Jesus says in verse 7 leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial so what is she keeping and some commentators have asked this question does she have leftover were they fighting over the the leftover in the bottle but uh, didn't she just give it all away didn't she pour it all out uh, what she is talking about here is this moment uh, what John is talking about is this moment give her this moment Let her remember this moment and the purity of it, the beauty of this. Don't tamper with it. Don't make her question why she did this. Give her this as she is looking forward to my burial. And he says in verse 8, For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. And he points to what is to come. Now, this is the story, and we have two responses. Lazarus. Martha, Mary, respond in the correct way. They value Jesus. Judas responds in the wrong way. He wants to simply use Jesus. Let's look at the first response. It tells us first Martha in verse 2. And I love the description of Martha here. Martha served. Two words. Doesn't tell us anything else. She served. Why does John not explain all this? Because a servant... Nobody really knows what a servant truly does because they are behind the scenes. A true servant does things not to get the applause of man or anyone else. They just do these things. But he noticed she served as these siblings. And I kind of wonder, right? There are those stereotypes of the firstborn and the, the middle or the youngest. And I wonder if she might have been the firstborn, right? The oldest responsible child. Right? Those of you who have siblings, you kind of know what that's like. And I wonder if she was the oldest and the most responsible one. And then you could imagine then Mary being the fun, the artsy, the playful one. Hey, let's just, you know, hey, I'm going to just dump all this on his feet. And the oldest one being responsible. Why? Um, I remember when they were younger, and even now today, 
the older one's the responsible one, right? She nags me now when I drive more than anyone else, right? Because she's been driving a whole two years of her life. Dad, watch out. And um, the younger one's just, it's okay. And Ashley's carefree. I remember, uh, uh, I think they were like eight, when Carissa was in like eighth grade, she, I picked her up from school and she had to go back to practice and she wanted to get Starbucks real quick and her friends thought, oh, can you, can you get me some when you go? So I said, yeah, hey, don't worry, I said, I'd buy your friend Starbucks, you know? And so we order, and, you know, they don't just drink coffee, right? They drink the expensive stuff, the stuff I don't order. It's all in the section of the menu that starts with five and I'm like, okay, yeah. just a cup of coffee. We buy them all the drinks. I said, don't worry about it, I said, don't worry about it. These are your good friends. It's just like three of them, four of them, just take it. Next day she comes back home and she's, he goes, here, Dad, by the way. And she collected to the cent every single penny that uh, each one was. So she gave me, like, dollars and change and this. Here it is. Here's all the money. I said, why did you do that? I could buy it for them. And she's like, what do you think? We are rich. You know, forget it. <laughs> and I said, okay. A little bit after that, I remember um, Ashley, my younger one, she was about uh, sixth grade. She's, uh, after school, she says, hey, Dad, um, she goes, uh, can you take us? Me and my friends, we've got to go eat pizza today. She didn't even really ask. She just told me. So I thought this was all cleared by the boss, and okay, let's go. So it's, her friends jump in, and we go, and we go, and, and she goes, go, Dad, go, go buy the pizzas. Uh, oh, okay. I just do as I'm told, right? As a lot of dads, you know what it's like. Oh, okay, yes. Yeah. And I'm scratching my head, why is this, you know, 10-year-old telling me, okay, so I buy the pizzas, I bring it over. And I'm thinking, I said, is it, is it your birthday? Is that my birthday? Oh, why are we having a party for no reason? And so they're eating, and then she said, Dad, Dad. Go buy some ice cream, buy some ice cream. You guys want ice cream? Though? Yeah, we want ice cream. Oh, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go buy ice cream. I bought ice cream, pass it out. And after, I hung out to Dad, I gotta drop us all off. Dad, take them all home, Dad. Oh, okay, and by this time, I'm going, wait a minute. <laughs> right, who authorized all this? The older responsible one said, Why did you have Dad pay for everything? What do you think? We're rich? And the younger one says, yeah, we're rich. Don't you know how rich we are? And the older one says, we're not rich, you know. Like, go and collect it. She goes, why? We're rich, you know. And we ought to give it. And there's a free spirit, an innocence, right? And I wonder when I, when I was reading this, and I was reading this in that kind of thought, I wonder, and some of you are the Marthas, and you are taking care of the family stuff. You organize, man, Christmas was coming up, and Thanksgiving's always at your place, and you get things done, and you serve. And Mary, maybe she's more carefree, and she said, I brought this perfume for my brother. When he had died, I was going to now cover him. He's alive. I'm going to just go and worship, and I'm going to give this to him. But Martha served. Serving is a topic that I love, right? I love to preach about it. I love to hear about it. But let me be frank, I have a hard time practicing it. Especially at home, taking out the trash, reparking the cars, getting gas in the cars, you know, hearing uh, my wife and daughter say, oh, it's cold out there, you know, don't go to the gas station, pay your dad, you know, and yeah, I'll do it, but to serve. And sometimes we think about the, the group of people that are gathered here, and I think about our dear brothers and sisters who serve at church. Someone had to come here early to move the trailer unload the trailer they don't just say I just feel like moving stuff around today they're serving today they set all this up someone's over there teaching the children bringing snacks and now crafts and they had to prepare that 
And people are serving in this way. And so a lot of times people judge a church by how great a church is, the size of it, the budget of it, uh, how fun it is or how cool it is. Really a great, hey, I'll open my house for you guys to come, for you and your family to come so you would have someone, somewhere to belong. Hey, I'll go up and now practice this song over and over and I'll try to help lead it so you could sing and be inspired. I'll go and teach these kids something even though they're not mine and there's an act of service. The correct response to Jesus Christ who is so worthy and valuable is I serve. Secondly is Lazarus. He reclined at the table with him. During those days they would have a low table and because, literally because of the smell of the feet they would recline. So the picture we have of the Last Supper they wouldn't sit Indian style in a way around a table. They would be on their stomachs propping themselves up with their elbow and their feet would be further with now turn people away, they would lose their appetite. And so your feet would be away. And here is Lazarus reclining next to Jesus, spending time with him. And I want to encourage you to look on him and think about him just being in his presence. So we have someone who serves. We have Lazarus now who spends time. And thirdly, we have the other responses. Mary, she worshipped the perfume and the hair and the, the cleansing and all of this is her form of worship. You know, the word worship it literally comes from the word worth-ship. Someone is worthy. So I go and worship someone and I go to worship service because he is worthy. He is valuable. And I want to somehow express how much he, or he is worth to me. And that's what worship is. And yeah, she may not be sitting at a church listening or singing, but she was demonstrating how much she valued Jesus Christ. So she worshipped him. Remember the feet. There's all the discussion about the feet. Jesus demonstrates of the disciples. That was something that was done by servants. They would come in wearing sandals and their feet would be dirty and it would smell. I still remember you know, when I was in junior high school, it was for a little while it was cool to wear shoes without socks. And that was a trend, right? You had to do that. And our feet would smell so bad. And my mom was like, go straight, wash. And she had a very sensitive nose. Has, still has a very sensitive nose. And she would just look at me and say things like, you look like you smell, you know. I said, what do you mean? I said, you can't judge that by her. Like, go wash up, right? And with three sons, and she would say that to all of us all the time, and um, there was a lot of truth to that. You look like you smell, right? But the feet, it was just like it is today. It's undesirable. It's dirty. The servants were the ones who would clean it. It is why John the Baptist, when people were trying to compare him to Jesus, he says, here comes the one whose sandals I'm unworthy to untie. Not even his feet, only the, the dirtiest part of the human, but his sandals I can't touch. And when Mary saw the value of who Jesus was, she says, I'm going to use my hair, the, the crown of my beauty, and I will use that to get the dirt and grime off of his feet. And she's cleansing it and she's putting that into her own hair. And so it explains to us why she did this. The motive is that she valued him so much she dared not go anywhere else but the feet just to get the dirt off. So 
Mary, Martha, Lazarus. They worshipped. They served. They spent time because he was so valuable. Now here's the wrong response. This is Judas. Judas didn't see Jesus as valuable. He just wanted to see him as useful. And we have to be also very careful to this fool, not because we love him. We go to Jesus because he is useful, not because he is so beautiful or valuable, just because he's useful and he wants to use him. Verse 6 tells us, you know, he's having charge of the money back. He used to help himself from it. He used to gain personally from this. We have to be so very careful. You know, doing our quiet times, devotions, and all these things are good. But today, often in the Christian books, often there are techniques and ways to manipulate God so you can use them, if I could say it. And I'm not going to go through the list of books, but there are these books. If you pray a certain way, if you use this technique, if you go and go hear this guy, or if you find this miraculous sign over here, it could be useful. God would answer your prayers and he would give you the desires of your earthly heart. He will give all this to you. And we have to be so very careful before I say, yeah, I want to read this prayer so that God would grant my wishes. And I want to read this so Jesus could be useful for me. He simply saw Jesus as he's useful. I'm getting a lot. And at the end, he sells him out for 30 pieces of silver. We come to him because he is beautiful, not just useful. It is J.I. Packer who talks about worship, he says, to worship God is to recognize his worth or worthiness, to look Godward, to acknowledge in all appropriate ways the value of what we see, to recognize the worth and worthiness. And I close with this thought, just one other thought here. In this, there is a picture of urgency. The response is quick. Uh, the people, Mary, Martha, Lazarus, there's nothing casual or lagging about this. They respond. They're people of action. And I want to encourage us. Think about it. It's a sense, almost feels rushed. Chapter 11, he rises from the dead. Jesus raises him from the dead. Chapter 12, the dinner is at leper's house if they have to. They're going to have a dinner for him. And now they're serving. And now she breaks this uh, bottle open. And then Jesus tells her at the end of that story that, hey, you'll no longer have me with you. They somehow knew that the time was limited. And I hope for us today that we would view today as a day to live and value God. The Bible tells us today is the day of salvation. Jesus tells Zacchaeus when he sees him, today I must go and stay at your house. Uh, the psalmist says in Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. There's a response today. So we don't wait till life settles down. We don't wait till life gets a little better before we. Let me encourage you. Serve. Let me encourage you to spend time. Let me encourage you to worship and attribute to him the value of who he is, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray that he would be worshipped here um, in whatever form that we bring to him, that he would be glorified. Um, let's pray together.